Welcome. I am Sheila Murthy, president and founder of the Murthy Law Firm. I'm truly delighted to have with me two of our brilliant and amazing attorneys at the Murthy Law Firm, Chris Drynan, senior attorney in the H-1B department, and Ashley Barbone, another brilliant star, shining star in our team. Today's topic is whether and when and if an H-1B amendment is required, the legal requirements and practical considerations for you all as employers to consider. I know this is a really, really burning hot topic and issue for many, many companies, particularly consulting companies and others where the employee keeps changing work locations um, or the end client changes. And so it's a really interesting and a topic that has been subject to great scrutiny by the USCIS. And although there has not been any particular change in a specific law in different correspondence and communication with various stakeholders and employers, the USCIS has indicated that their policy is continuing to shift. Recent statements from the USCIS, especially from the California Service Center, seem to indicate that it is taking the position that an amendment of the H-1 must be filed whenever there is a change in the work location or even with just the end client in some circumstances, even if there is no change in the work location itself in terms of not being outside the metropolitan statistical area. Failure to file the H-1B amendment could cause the H-1B worker to be out of status and the employer potentially to be non-compliant with the terms and conditions of the approved H-1 petition. So USCIS has been conducting post-approval site visits through the Fraud Detection and National Security, the FDNS team, uh, to different work sites and work locations which were listed on the Form I-129 to verify the information being accurate as filed by the petitioner. These site visits could lead to follow-up emails and sometimes a notice of intent to revoke the H-1B petition approval. In addition, the USCIS has been issuing RFEs or requests for evidence on H-1B petition extensions to determine when and whether the H-1B worker has relocated or has maintained status or failed to maintain status or if the employer is compliant. So with that background, I'm now going to turn to Chris Drynan to um, outline what, if anything, the law will say or has been saying about the requirement for an employer to file an H-1B amendment. Has anything changed at all, Chris? Well, this is a very complicated issue, and this is something we spend a lot of time talking about with employers uh, on a daily basis. Um, many of our many of our clients, many of our listeners to this teleconference are in the IT consulting industry. Uh, this is a particularly important issue for them um, because employees who work as IT consultants uh, tend to move from one project to another project very often. A uh, matter of months or sometimes even a matter of weeks. And typically when you're talking about a change of a, a different project, different end client, you're also talking about a change in their work location. Um, now in general, an H-1B employee is only allowed to work at a location uh, that's indicated on a certified LCA, what's called a labor condition application. Um, that comes from the Department of Labor and it has to be filed with an H-1B petition. Um, now the USCIS regulations Um, the Department of Homeland Security regulations are really pretty vague on this issue. Um, In what's called the CFR or the Code of Federal Regulations, it says that the petitioner or the employer shall immediately notify the service of any changes in the terms 
and conditions of employment of a beneficiary which may affect eligibility. Um, it also says that the petitioner shall file an amended or new petition with the service center where the original petition was filed to reflect any material changes in the terms and conditions of employment um, or of the alien's eligibility as specified in the original petition. Now, the question here is what does immediate mean and what is a material change? Um, that's something there's really very little practical guidance that's come from, from mm -hmm. USCIS through the years. Mm -hmm. So to some extent, uh, we can only interpret those terms based on what we see in terms of requests for evidence or decisions on cases. Um, now, the Department of Labor regulations uh, do provide some helpful guidance here. Um, the DOL regulations require that if the new work location is within the same metropolitan statistical area, or MSA, um, an employer must repost. Which is the normal commuting distance normal for commu those who aren't familiar with the MSA concept. Exactly. It's the normal commuting distance. Mm -hmm. um, the employer must repost the LCA posting notice or the certified LCA at the new work site. So in other words, you can use the same LCA if the new job is, is within commuting distance of the original work site. Um, if you're placing an H-1B worker at a location outside uh, the MSA for the original work site, um, that as it's listed on the certified uh, LCA, you have to get a new LCA before you move the employee to the new location, a new certified LCA. Um, now, the law regarding when an amended petition is required and what steps must be taken when an H-1B worker is moved to a new work location have not changed. Uh, what's changed here to some extent is the interpretation and perhaps the, uh, the level of scrutiny that's being applied to this issue. Okay, thank you, Chris. Uh, if we can change gears and go to Ashley. Um, so I guess really some of the questions that Chris seems to have raised are the issues dealing with the H-1B worker uh, working at a location outside of the metropolitan statistical area, and then you require a new LCA, certified LCA, and then we'll probably now be touching upon how the new certified LCA, when that's required, a new H-1B petition is required. It's sort of chicken and egg, egg or chicken, which comes first? But Ashley, so the law seems to be rather ambiguous on this entire issue. So what have the employers, H-1B employers, been relying on as guidance to make their decisions? Right. So exactly. Because there's a lack of practical guidance in the law, petitioners and others in the immigration field have been relying on USCIS policy memos and the USCIS adjudicator field manual for over 10 years as our authority that an amended petition is not required just to transfer an H-1B worker from one worksite to a new worksite. Mm -hmm. The adjudicator field manual and two USCIS memos, one from 1992 and one from 96, state that an amended petition is not required for the mere transfer of a worker to a new work site as long as the petitioner remains in this in the same oh, I'm sorry as long as the petitioner remains the same and the LCA remains valid however the these memos do state that a, an amended petition would be required if the change in work location would invalidate that underlying LCA. So basically, if a new LCA has to be filed, then you must file a new petition. That's the implication right. under the 1992 Hogan memo and the 1996 Alienokov memo. Right. There's another authority as well, a, a letter from October 2003 from Efren Hernandez, who was the then director of business and trade branch at the Department of Homeland Security. He stated in his letter that an amended petition would not be required where an H-1B worker moves to a new worksite location as long as 
four, um, three factors occur. The new LCA is certified prior to moving the employee, the appropriate posting takes place, and the wage and hour obligations are all satisfied. And since 2003, uh, immigration attorneys and employers have been relying on uh, this USCIS memos and the Hernandez letter as authority that employers can move H-1B workers to new work sites without having to file amended petitions. However, it's important to keep in mind that this letter is not binding on USCIS. Right. So remember the rule, as Ashley just pointed out, letters, documents, internal guidance, even an internal policy memo is not necessarily binding because it's not the statute. It's not even a regulation, which is the interpretation of the government on the black letter law. And even in memos, you have regular memos, which are just opinions, which are not less binding than a P or a policy memo, which is binding. So for many who are not aware of this, a letter by itself, by the person who was then in charge of that section, is not considered um, binding, or at least that's the position, as, as, we, as we just earlier discussed, I think Chris discussed, but the California Service Center is sort of veering away from that policy. Chris, if I can come back to you. So is it safe or not safe for H-1B employers to rely on this Hernandez memo and then determine that, hey, why the heck should I waste my hard-earned money filing fees, especially if these employees are going to be relocating every six months or a year? It becomes outrageously expensive with the government fees. So, you know, what what can we do as as employers to make this work? Well, this is a, a very complex issue. And to some extent, this does depend on the risk tolerance of the employer. Um, it's very clear that the, the current trend uh, with USCIS is shifting towards requiring an amended petition whenever the work location or even the end client uh, changes. And although, as we've discussed previously, the law has not changed here, uh, there right now are some very good practical reasons for filing an amended H-1B in this situation. Um, you briefly touched, Sheila, on the issue of the site visits that mm -hmm. we've been seeing. Um, USCIS often, very often, conducts random unannounced site visits at the work sites for H-1B workers, uh, as is listed on the Form I-129, not necessarily what's listed on the LCA, um, to verify if the employee and the employer are complying with the terms of the H-1B petition. Um, in other words, they don't go to the to the address that's on the updated LCA. They just go to the address on the I-129. Well, because USCIS will not have access to the updated LCA since it's only filed with Department of Labor and kept in the employer's file. Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. So they'll go to the location on the I-129. Mm -hmm. um, now, after a site visit, USCIS will frequently or usually issue a follow-up email and or a what's called a notice of intent to revoke, what we call a NOR, uh, of the already approved H-1B petition if at the site visit they discover that the H-1B worker isn't there anymore um, and, and that there's been no amended petition filed. Um, USCIS has also if, sometimes issued NOR's uh, notice of intent to revoke even when the employer has obtained a certified LCA prior to moving the H-1B worker to the new location. Um, even if the new LCA was filed with the Department of Labor for the new location, as you said, Sheila, USCIS doesn't typically have access to that information. Um, Really, the only way to update USCIS of a change in the work location is to file an amended H-1B. Um, and also, recently, USCIS has, uh, has definitely been taking the position that a change in work location or in client is a material change and that it requires an amended H-1B petition to be filed. Um, the employer is required to immediately file the, H1, the amended H-1B petition 
to notify the USCIS of changes in the terms of the employment. And failure to do so can have serious negative consequences both to the employer and the employee. Now, uh, the only service center uh, that's come out and explicitly said this is the California Service Center. Um, and their legal counsel has said that you have to file an admitted H-1B in this scenario. Uh, apparently, uh, so we've been told, USCIS is in the process of issuing some new policy guidance on this issue. <laughs> we better be patient. It we, took them years and years to issue on most issues. Considering we're still waiting for AC-21 guidance, it, it could be a very long time. We have guidance. <laughs> we, we have, have guidance, guidance, but not regulations. Right. Um, USCIS has also increased the issuance of requests for evidence on extension H-1Bs, um, where there's been a change in work location. USCIS has taken the posi uh, position that failure to obtain a new certified LCA and an approved amendment for each and every work site may cause the H-1B worker to fall out of status um, with all the consequences that, that can result from that. Um, and taking all of this into consideration, uh, and despite the ambiguity around when you actually need legally an amended petition, there are very good practical reasons um, for filing one to, avoiding, uh, to avoid these sorts of problems with site visits. And okay, well, that makes sense. It's definitely a safer approach with considering the RFEs and the NOIDs and the Notice of Intents to Deny or Revoke. Um, and, you know, I know from an employer's point of view, and I alluded to this earlier, there are some advantages in, in avoiding, if you can help it, to file the amendment, uh, the H-1B amendment. Um, obviously, uh, the benefit of only filing the new LCA is much easier because that's more or less pro forma. It's done on the Internet. Um, it's very much lower cost. It's, you know, you sort of obtain the, the certified LCA and the ability to move the employees after posting it in the new work location. There's no government filing fee for obtaining the new certified LCA. And the H-1B worker can start employment as soon as the new location, at the new location, as soon as the LCA is certified, which is generally seven days. It could take up to seven business days, though, between you and me. And I know many of you who are listening to the conference call right now are saying, Who's waiting for seven days? We're sending the person on day one. Well, you know, that's not right. Uh, a lot of times I make a joke about how we all drive about the speed li speeding limit. It doesn't mean it's allowed. It just means we're all violating the law, possibly. And I am not admitting to any crime as we are speaking on this call. Um, also, by filing a new LCA... Uh, without the amendment, the petitioner hopes to avoid the uh, an RFE uh, on the H-1B amendment, um, which obviously when you file an H-1 amendment, there's no guarantee that it will be approved by the USCIS because it is an opportunity for the USCIS again to relook at the petition um, once again. So, you know, I, we understand where you're coming from, but hopefully you understand that the risks for California Service Center to deny it, et cetera, et cetera, what Chris, uh, Ashley, and I have just spoken about. So, Ashley, what are some of the risks the employer and the employee could face by failing to file the H-1B petition amendment? I know uh, Chris has already touched upon them, so can you elaborate just a little bit? Sure, yeah. There are, of what Chris discussed, there's about four main risks that employers and, and employees should be aware of. The first one being, you know, again, the site visits and possible revocation of the petition. Um, if a site visit is conducted and they go to the location that's on the I-129 and the employee is no longer at that location, USCIS could issue a notice of intent to revoke the petition and initiate the revocation process. Considerable expenses could be incurred by the employer to respond to the notice of intent to revoke 
and if the petition is ultimately revoked, the employee would be out of status and have to depart the U.S. immediately. Then a new petition would have to be filed for consular processing, and it could take weeks or months before that employee could return to the U.S. and resume working. Another, another risk is traveling by the employee. If they travel ab abroad and they have to apply for an H-1B visa at a U.S. consulate, there's a very high risk that the consular officer would refuse to issue a visa because there's been a change in the work location or end client and no amended petition has been filed. Particularly, we're seeing U.S. consulates in India taking the position that wherever there's a, a change in location, um, that it has to match the location that's on the H-1B petition. So if it's changed, they need an amended petition. Also, status violations are something to keep in mind. The higher, there's a higher risk that USCIS could take the position that an employee has been out of status for the entire period that he or she worked at the new location that was not covered by an amended petition. And if USCIS views this time um, at the new location without the amendment as out of status, the USCIS could issue a request for evidence whenever an extension petition is filed. And they could also approve the extension petition for consular processing only, which means it would be approved without that I-94 card attached. USCIS could also find the employee ineligible for an adjustment of status application if they were considered out of status prior to filing their I-45 application. So it can have long-term um, implications. And finally, the employer has to keep in mind with their reputation with USCIS. There's a risk that USCIS could just outright deny any petition and they may interpret the movement of beneficiaries to new locations without amendments as uh, that they were filed initially for speculative employment. And this could impact not only the individual petition, but all of the employer's petitions that are filed with USCIS. Okay. So basically it impacts the reputation of the employer with the USCIS, which could then um, have the potential risk of future applications by you all as H-1B employers and getting your other employees' cases approved, which obviously uh, would be uh, savings in the short run, but a much larger expense in the long run. And you should also remember that while there are costs certainly incurred with filing any H-1B amendment, uh, including possible attorney's fees unless you have in-house counsel or in-house people, which I know some of you use your paralegals or support staff or a receptionist who has no clue what they're doing. And uh, unfortunately, that results in much more expenses down the road. But if the employer files the amendment only without any request for an extension of stay, you're only required to pay the base fee uh, right now, which is approximately $325 in filing fees because you don't have to pay the acquia, the training fee, uh, and all of the other fees, the fraud fees, et cetera, when it is the same employer, same uh, end date, but just the new work location and the amendment just pointing that one fact out. Um, so we've talked a lot right now about the administrative site visits and the verification program. And, um, you know, concerns of that nature by the USCIS, Chris. Um, so can you, you know, they, they generally occur, I guess, you know, we've talked about this and they've been conducting these site visits. Can you explain a little bit about what, what exactly goes on with this? Well, it's called the Administrative Site Visit and Verification Program, or ASVVP for short, sort of. Um, this program was set up in 2009 to allow USCS to go out and perform pre- and post-adjudication 
site visits for, for employers. Um, now, the emails that result from these site visits tend to be focused on post-adjudication site visits. Um, in other words, visits that occur after a petition has been approved. Um, in, in our experience, it tends to be a few months after, after the approval of a petition. Uh, very frequently, employers will get a site visit. Um, they'll they'll want to verify that the person is actually there. Uh, sometimes they'll want to verify that uh, all the conditions of the employment are, are consistent with the petition. Um, so subsequent to the site visits, USCIS has been emailing H-1B employers and or their attorneys. Sometimes we see these, sometimes we don't. Um, if the officer was unable to verify all the information they wanted to verify during the site visit. Um, perhaps they didn't find the employee there, um, or they, they weren't very able to verify the job duties. Um, any of these things happen, it's very common to get an email asking for some additional information and documents. Uh, they might ask for payroll records. Um, a new, they'll ask if there's been a new LCA if the person has perhaps moved. Okay. Wonderful, Chris. Thank you very much for that. And Ashley, could you continue and explain, you know, what are the kinds of standard emails or messages? Are they common issues that employers should be aware of, which I know Chris just alluded a little bit to it. So um, I don't know if there's anything else you can add to it or touch upon briefly. Sure. So again, it's important to remember that the emails are not all the same and the types and the amount of documentation that could be requested can vary. So um, sometimes they're going to be asking, again, for contracts or statements of work purchase orders and letters from clients and vendors. They might also, again, be looking for the pay records, to pay stubs, W-2s, um, and new LCAs. In some instances, they'll say, you know, it looks like maybe a work location is outside the MSA, and they'll be requesting a new LCA if it's been filed and certified. And again, the timeline for responding to these varies from email to email. Sometimes they're giving as little as two days and up to five days. Sometimes they don't have any any uh, timeline for responding at all. I see. Okay, wonderful. And why can't the employment be verified just by the site visit? You know, why does the uh, fraud detection national security or the inspector actually have to send out his email and list dates and, as Ashley suggested, times and all of that? Well, uh, a lot of times it's possible they won't be able to verify the location of the employee, even if nothing has changed. Um, Maybe the, the officer can't locate the employee because you're, you're at a very large campus, uh, lots of different buildings, or, or perhaps even the security at the, the worksite wouldn't permit um, the officer's access to the worksite. Work uh, so it was, it was impossible for them to verify the, the information. Uh, perhaps the employee is not at the worksite for a variety of reasons. Um, maybe they're on vacation, now they're on personal leave. Um, of course, any of these things the employer should be able to document. Um, presumably, they have records if the person was on vacation or taking leave. Um, and if the employee's work location has actually changed, uh, the employer may have already obtained a new LCA uh, but did not file an H-1B amendment. Uh, at, in that situation, USCIS would not have knowledge of the new location and new LCA filing. Um, and they would have gone to the to the location listed on the original I-129. So uh, in that situation, you would certainly want to notify USCIS in responding to the email that there is a new new LCA that's been certified. And that might give some protection, at least for sure. It might. It mm -hmm. might. Okay. And Ashley, I know you alluded to some of these documents. Was there anything else you might wish to add about the kinds of documents requested by the inspectors and 
you know, how usually how long the employer, I think you touched upon it, it can vary a lot. Um, and then um, is, is, are the, all the emails identical or similar? Do they visit all of the site, lo site locations on the L, uh, LCA and the H-1B petition rather? Is there anything else you wanted to add? I know you said two days to five days. Right. Again, it's just it's very random and not everybody will get a site visit and not all the time. But um, generally just checking to see if the employee is still where they're supposed to be on listed on the petition. And if they're not able to verify all that information for numerous reasons, then the emails are a common practice that we're seeing. Post what if the employer is traveling outside the country and is not available to able to return or respond within the two days or the five days if they're and if I'm, on, if I'm un, un, unable to access emails, that's a big problem. Right. So it's possible, again, depending on the language in the email, they might be able to respond to the, to the officer and ask for more time to prepare the documentation to provide a more you know, comprehensive response. Um, but like I said, some don't have a timeline at all. So if there's a delay, it might not be as big of an issue if they're not able to respond right away. But I think making touching base and making some um, response to the officer is going to help them. Otherwise, if there's no response, the next step could possibly be a, a USCIS to issue a notice of intent to revoke the petition. Okay. So so I know, Chris, and we're kind of talking, sort of going a lot in and out. There's a very tight time deadline, and understandably, this will be difficult for employers to adhere to, even if they have all the documentation more or less readily available. So the employers... Um, uh, need to understand that the site inspector may not have the authority to automatically revoke the petition um, if the employer doesn't promptly respond to the email. Uh, what can the, um, the employer expect if, the, if either the site inspector or the USCIS, because they report presumably to the USCIS, does not wish to take any further action? Well, it, it, it's absolutely true. These inspectors do not uh, themselves have the authority to revoke a petition. Um, presumably what they'll do if they, if they find negative information is they'll send a, send a report to the service center. And at that point, um, USCIS will issue a notice of intent to revoke, uh, what we call a NOR. Um, and there are very specific procedures uh, in regard to NORs, how long you have to respond. Um, and if this NOR is issued, uh, the employer will have the opportunity to respond to this, uh, to provide information that they think is, is helpful in responding to whatever USCIS's issues are with the case. Um, but even though you will have this, uh, this formal opportunity to respond to the, the NOR, uh, it may very well be beneficial for the employer to respond in some way to the email, um, even if you're simply asking for more time to respond. Uh, just mainly because this is a much more informal process, and if you can essentially nip this in the bud before you get to the stage of a formal NOR, uh, generally you're going to be much better off. Okay, wonderful. Thank you. And once the employer actually responds to the email, Ashley, what follow-up do they get from the USCIS? What should they expect? Well, again, this also can vary from email to email. Sometimes you can get an email that says, thank you, the, um, everything has checked out. Sometimes the employer won't receive any response from USCIS. However, it's not clear that that would be any cause for alarm. We have seen in some instances where there was no acknowledgement of the email response. However, 
those same beneficiaries were able to get subsequent H-1B um, extensions. Mm-hmm. So it turned out that, that there was no... I think they do make some kind of a notation in the computer database saying, you know, checked, verified, response, things are basically clear. Right. So that's good. Sometimes, what do they say? No news is good news. <laughs> this is one of those cases. Because if you get a quick response back with a denial or a notice of intent to revoke or a revocation, that's the kind of correspondence we don't necessarily want as H-1B employers. So given the unpredictability of emails from uh, the government, including when they may come and what the government will ask for, what steps can employers take to protect themselves and be prepared, Chris? Well, most important, the most important thing here is that employers need to make sure that they have their employees' uh, public access files uh, for their H-1Bs in order, have their pay records uh, ready and also have a clear record of their employees' work schedules mm-hmm. um, so that they're able to respond to these emails or if it gets to the stage of an actual NOR being issued, mm-hmm. they can respond to the NOR. And also, uh, these records are all things you would need in the event you ever had a DOL investigation. Mm-hmm. Um, these are things you should you should make sure are properly maintained anyway. Um, and you also, as we've been discussing uh, previously in this teleconference, you should really carefully consider whether or not you should be filing H-1B amendments and not just new LCAs um, when you're moving a, an employee to a new incline or new location. Um, clearly, that's the way USCIS is headed, and you, any employer who's listening should really consider um, changing their procedures if they're not doing that. Okay. Well, uh, I know after we've spoken a whole lot and with Chris and Ashley really dissecting and analyzing this as brilliantly and succinctly as one possibly can, I'm sure you're scratching your head and saying, now what exactly did they say and what does this really mean and do I really need to file it? Well, to summarize what all three of us have been saying for the last approximately almost 30 minutes is we think it is a really safe and prudent approach to consider filing it, particularly if the person is moving out of the same metropolitan statistical area. And so the more factors that come in, like the distance being more, or the job duties being different, or the duration of the project, you may seriously want to consider filing it. Clearly, it would be an investment and worth understanding the risks. You are more than welcome to consult with a smart, sharp, experienced attorney that you're using, hopefully, that can guide you through this. And if you don't have an attorney, you know where the best law firm in the world is available right here. The very fact that you're listening to today's teleconference means that you rely on us for guiding you and helping you and uh, being there for you all. We clearly have an amazing, amazing team. And I'm sure you've heard the saying, a stitch in time saves nine. And so the cost savings in the long run for you and your business and your employees is truly worthwhile considering uh, and therefore considering the amendment option, looking at the RFEs, looking at California Service Center, understanding all of the different issues that we've sort of touched upon today. It's really what we're uh, recommending that you generally do, but you're always welcome to consult with one of us. Again, we always appreciate your investing your time and your effort and energy with us and uh, entrusting uh, us to guide you in this process. Thank you so much for your valuable time, and we really would be happy and honored to help you and your business continue to grow and thrive in 2013 and beyond. Have a wonderful day and a happy new year to you all.